Do you also not like animals? No, I love animals. She has bunnies, but I wanted to give a unique answer. Got it. Okay. I'm Dasi Zar. I'm from the Lower. I'm, I'm from Great Neck. I live on the Lower East Side, and I would say elephants. But six months ago, my parents got a dog. So my favorite animal is Dunder. He's a golden doodle, and he's like 70 pounds. He's a fluffy bear, and I love him. Um, thank you so much. This is so special. Thank you. Thank you. Um, hopefully, this is like a chill experience, and it's not super heavy, and we're all engaged in sharing. Um, it's I make notes for myself because I can literally ramble and like lose myself in whatever I'm saying. So you'll excuse me that I did put some notes together. There's so much to share, I think, on this, on this topic of, of seeing our miracles um, in this month especially. So um, hopefully we'll be able to tackle some interesting ideas. Um, share some stories, and hopefully you guys will also share. And at the end, maybe we'll also, again, go around and we can share maybe an intention that we have for the month, something that we want to walk away with, something that we can take from hearing each other, um, that we can work on for the next couple weeks, especially you know at the end of the year. And um, we're kind of tying in those loose ends, maybe setting in those last final um, intentions that we set in the, in the beginning of last year and now coming to a full circle. So maybe during this conversation, you can just think about, you know, also things that you want to um, solidify. Lachaim. Um, um, we also do it in memory of Michael. Yes. So, so his name is Yaakov thank Ben you. Yisrael. Yaakov Ben Yisrael, who Absolutely. left away, left the world oh, today. Yeah. It's really powerful. Um, okay, so I'll share a quick story and then we'll jump in. There's a story of, and you, you may have heard this, it's a famous story of a guy who's stranded in the middle of the ocean and he makes the statement that, um, you know, I'm not going to, the only way that I'm going to survive this experience is if God himself comes down and saves me. So he's treading and a boat comes by and the boat throws a life jacket and the guy says, no, like keep going. I'm waiting for God himself to come down. So the boat goes by and he continues to tread and tread and tread. And the next thing he knows, a helicopter is swooping down, throwing down a ladder, grab the ladder, grab the ladder. And the guy's like, no, 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 no. I'm waiting for God, I'm waiting for God. And the helicopter's like, all right, this guy's crazy. So it leaves. And the next thing you know, he's treading for another hour, two hours, three hours, and he starts to sink to the bottom of the ocean. And his soul leaves the world, and he meets the creator, right? He reaches the heavens, and he meets the creator. And the first thing he says is, how did you do this to me? Like, I had so much faith that you were going to come down and save me and, and pull me out of the water. Where were you? Why didn't you come? And the master of the universe says, I sent you so many opportunities. I sent you the boat. I sent you the helicopter. You know, and that's really the end of the story. And I think that, hello. I think that, um, oh, I didn't know if they were joining us or not. But it doesn't look like they are. I think the point of the story is that this is sort of how we, the, the theme of the night is, miracles and seeing our small miracles and I think that something that we'll try to unfold tonight is how we see miracles and that so often there are, the truth is that every single moment there are so many miracles that are happening around us on a constant basis and we're literally blind to them so much so that the Talmud even tells us that the person who is experiencing the miracle is literally blind to them so hopefully by the end of the night, we'll learn how to wear the proper glasses to have better vision. Um, and we'll, we'll learn a little bit about what the Torah tells us on how to see the miracles around us, how to live on a higher plane of reality, how to live with a higher frequency, how to expect miracles, how to not just wait for them, but to literally be in your mundane, regular, ordinary experience on like a regular, what day are we, Tuesday? Tuesday, not supernatural, not super auspicious, 
and yet be living on a higher plane of reality. And I think we're going to be able to do it. What do you think? Okay. Cool. Let's do it. Okay. Um, so I think that before we jump in, there are a few things just to give a little bit of context. This is not a class on the Zodiac, but the Jewish Zodiac is absolutely incredible. The month of Kislev is, um, first of all, just a little bit about the Hebrew calendar. It's a lunar calendar, so we go according to the moon. Um, you'll see the beginning of the month is when you don't see the moon at all. At all, You can always track the 15th of the month. It's when we're at, the full, at a full moon. And then it starts to wane, wax, wane, yeah, starts to wane. And then we start a new month. So I don't know where, where we are on the Jewish calendar right now. Does anybody know? Rosh Chodesh was last week. So we're still in the beginning of the month. You'll start to see the moon starting to, starting to get a little bit bigger. Um, the month of Kislev is the ninth month of the Hebrew calendar. Nine is connected to the, the ninth month, right? It's a time of birthing. It's a time to, um, you're literally, we literally have an opportunity to rebirth ourselves, to reclaim our stories, to step into our greatness, to come into full manifestation, to set those intentions and to really pull them home. It's a very cold month. So you would think, wow, it's like cold. I need to keep warm. But it's in these colder months that actually the blooming of greatness begins. So it's in the, this time that we have the power to set really strong intentions. Um, every single Hebrew month has a tribe that's connected to it, a sense that's connected to it, an element that's connected to it. Um, where this is the month of Sagittarius, it's connected to the bow. You know, we're, it's the month of Hanukkah. We're, we're learning about actually the war that was waged between the Greeks and and the Maccabees and how they over were able to overcome them. Um, the word Kislev itself is connected to the word Kessel, which means security or trust. In this month, we're really tapping into this ability of both active and passive trust in Hashem. Um, And really, like, when we think about the month of Kislev, one of the things that come to mind are miracles, light and darkness, and Hashem's grand gestures. And I want you to start thinking about the miracles that maybe you've seen in your life, whether they were big or small. I can think of two miracles that came to me today that happened to me in the month of Kislev, and I'll just share them quickly with you because I think it's really important to share miracle stories. It helps us to see Hashem in a really revealed way. So first story is... 2006, 13 years ago, I'm a senior in high school. I am, um, I, it's Hanukkah, I think it's probably like the third or fourth night, and it's a Saturday night, and my friend was studying at NYU, and she's like, we're going to the city, we're, we're, we're going to the Lower East Side, we're going to a party, blah, blah, blah. If, if you don't know, I went to North, I, I didn't grow up religious, went to public school, crazy high school experience, totally crushed it, had a great time. <laughs> And then Saturday night, going to the Lower East Side, and at that stage of my life, I was starting to become curious about spirituality. The question was brought up to me by a very close family member, like, what's the purpose of life? Like, what are you trying to create in your life? And at that very young age, I started to have a very early midlife crisis, and my life literally started to take, a, like, a turn, but it was totally, I think, totally supernatural because I was just, like regular kid, doing my thing, not particularly interested in spirituality. Um, anyways, so at that stage, I was already considering exploring the opportunity of going to Israel, studying at a program. I hadn't really had any strong Jewish education, and I thought, this might be a really cool experience for me. So I definitely wasn't dressed to the part. I was on my way to a club. I was wearing my bell bottoms, my platforms, I was wearing a tube top. It was great outfit. And um, my friend was like, all right, before we go, it's Hanukkah. We're going to go light the candles with this really cool couple. I'm going to introduce you to them. It's going to be great. So I was like, I'm down. Let's go. Um, so she takes me to their apartment. I'm not, not far from here. And um, we go inside. They're living in this tiny little apartment. And I'm like, they're like, what's your name? What's your deal? What's your story? And I'm like, thinking about going to Israel in the fall. I'm really pumped about it. And they're like, wow, that's so interesting. Like, what program? And I'm like, I'm thinking of going to Tzvat. It's like this really awesome, like, learning mysticism and, like, spirituality. And they're like, looking at me like, 
are you sure? Like, that doesn't really, it doesn't, I don't know that that's right for you right now. Like, maybe you need a little more time. And I was just like, no, 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 I'm going to go. I'm going to go. It's going to be great. Fast forward. What year are we? 2019. My husband and I work with this couple, Sarah and Rabbi Korn. They're the couple that recruited us to work here. Um, we, we thank God we have the unbelievable opportunity to work with the undergrad and young professional community. But the full circle was very, very miraculous. Um, and again, it was just like a story of this ordinary, this ordinary kid who is living an ordinary life who just wanted to not have any responsibility to herself or the world and to just like chill hard. And this crazy turn of events where now we're like part of this unbelievable community downtown and just like living our best Jewish lives with all of you. So it's really awesome. That's story number one. Um, story number two is 2010, again, Hanukkah, again with the same friend. She's like, we're going to a party. And I'm like, okay, like who knows what's going to happen tonight considering what happened like four years ago. So I get ready. I go into the city. She's living at the, in the city. And Wait, did you go to Israel? I did go to Israel. I went to Tzvat. My parents made me sign a contract that I'd only go for a semester because they literally thought I was on drugs and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so... We haven't even gotten to the stuff yet. I'm really sorry, but I feel like it's a great story. So, um, okay, so I get into the city. I'm crossing. It's like 33rd and Park. And that street, there's a tunnel that, like, the cars are shooting out, and the, the light there doesn't apply to those cars. So I'm, like, in my winter coat, like, doing my thing, walking to meet her. All of a sudden, boom. Car hits me. What? 40 miles an hour. I go flying from the roof to the floor. People from all parts, from like every single corner, start flooding out. And I'm literally like, I'm fine. Like, I'm totally fine. The ambulance comes, a fire truck comes. It's a compl- and, I'm, and I'm like in my like spiritual, like, it's a Hanukkah miracle. Like, everything's okay. <laughs> And it really was a miracle because I literally walked away with not a scratch on my body. It was, a compl- it was like everyone that saw was like, this happens every single day. This is the most dangerous intersection. Like, you are so lucky. And really, I walked away with, thank God, thank God, thank God. Like, Hashem really, I saw Yad Hashem. I saw the hand of Hashem just, like, completely protect me. And so when we think about these miracles, we think about these massive grand gestures. We think about these the splitting of the Red Sea, the 10 plagues, a crazy recovery, a near-death experience. But what I want to discuss tonight is an even deeper level of seeing miracles and seeing Hashem. Because I don't think that we have to experience these life-altering experiences to see Hashem. It could be a regular Tuesday on, like, at 150 Charles Street, right? That's where we are, to see Hashem. Um, I'm, like, totally parched. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> And I also ramble, so I feel like I get more thirsty than the average person. (laughs) So that's the question. Is it possible to see Hashem and to experience that same level of a high? So the answer is yes. Um, We don't see them unless we have the right glasses on. Thank God we have the Torah, which is the word Torah is connected to the word Hora'ah, which means lesson. And, and when we understand the, the, um, the vision, thank you so much, wow. When we understand the vision that the Torah sets out for us, we can start to internalize the vision that Hashem has for us, which is, again, living on this higher plane of reality, living in this higher frequency, having razor beam focus to be in a room like this and be feeling like there is there's something very miraculous happening right now here in this space. So in, we have a lot of questions in Judaism, and so I think that like, the best way to kick this off is really with a question. Um, and the sages ask this question. It's a famous question about Hanukkah. And the sages ask, why is it... So th- this is what the flow of the class will be. We'll ask this question. We'll jump into two mystical ideas that are a little bit heady, so I hope that you'll stay with me, but I feel like this crew will be able to, and then we'll wrap up. And we'll circle back to this question. 
the question of the siege is asked of them, please interrupt me at any point if you have any questions or comments. The siege is asked, why is it that on Hanukkah we're celebrating eight days if truly there were seven miraculous days, right? We know that we celebrate these eight days. However, what happened? Who knows what happened? What was the miracle that happened? The oil lasted for eight days. How much oil was there? It was for one day. The oil was for one day. So technically speaking, the first day was not a miracle, right? But we don't celebrate those last seven days, and we don't celebrate seven days. We celebrate eight consecutive days. So the question is, why are we celebrating the first day if the first day is not a miracle? It was obviously meant to be that you had one canister of oil. It was meant to last for a day. Cool? So this is the question. Now we're going to jump into two Kabbalistic ideas to hopefully help us understand what, what a miracle truly is. Okay. The first concept is a concept that's it's brought down from Sefer Yitzirah and brought down in many, many books. Um, and the concept is called Yesh Ma'ayin or Yesh Me'yesh which means something from nothing and something from something, okay? It's a weird translation. It basically means creation from nothing and creation from something. So I'm going to give you an example to help us. Anybody here, anybody here hear that concept before? Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. So when an artist creates something, let's think of an artist. Let's think of James Terrell. Is that the light fixture guy who, like, creates these unbelievable light sound experiences when he creates this unbelievable installation and it's maybe takes him a year six months whatever however much time it takes him to create that once he creates it he can leave that installation and it can exist independently without him being engaged in it right he can sell it he cannot see for 50 years. It can be on the other side of the world. He, ha- he can have nothing to do in it. And once he's created it, that thing can just exist, right? Now that's yesh miyesh, something from something, okay? He can create it and it, that thing exists on its own. Hashem creates very differently than that. When Hashem creates, Hashem is constantly engaged with that process. So it's not that Hashem created the world 5,778 years ago. It's not that Hashem created me in, I won't tell you my eight, whatever, 1987. Okay, whatever. I'm get over it. Um, <laughs> it's not that Hashem created me then and like now I just exist because Hashem, you know, that's when I was, that's when my mother birthed me and that's, it's, Hashem is constantly recreating me at every single moment. At every single moment, Hashem is literally recreating you from nothing. It's not an, a continuation. It's not a growth process. It's not an evolution. It's literally quantum, and this is what quantum physics is, is that something exists and doesn't exist, exists and doesn't exist. And Hashem creates in that way that at every single, I don't know if it's a millisecond or whatever, but at every single moment, Hashem is literally recreating all of creation. At every single second, every single thing that exists is being recreated. How do we know that? It's a great question. And I think that it's a super deep question. In short, it's brought down in the Zohar and in Sefer Yitzirah and in, and in different Sfarim. Um, but I think that probably we'd have to delve into those books and into those sources to really start to understand how these Kabbalists came to this. Um, but in short, it, it's the, the idea of creation... The, What's the difference between us as creators and Hashem as creators is that we exist because Hashem is willing us into existence. So if Hashem stopped willing us into existence, even for a moment, we would, our, our nature is to revert to, nothing, to nothingness. So imagine a daydream. As long as you're engaged in the daydream, the daydream exists. As soon as your professor, your friend, a phone call happens it ceases to exist. As long as you're engaged in it and creating it, it exists. So Hashem creates in that same way. And, it, and we can delve into how Hashem creates. Hashem creates through speech. 
Hashem, we mirror Hashem, so the same way we have thought, speech, and action, Hashem also mirrors us in that Hashem has these attributes of creation that there's, and we're going to, we can, we're, we can talk about it a little bit more, it's a little bit, not this, but it's an unbelievable conversation, and we should definitely have it in another class. Can you also explain what Sefer Yetzirah is? Yes, Sefer Yetzirah is the first book on Kabbalah, so it precedes the Zohar. Um, the author is unknown, although we we are to, we the tradition is that Abraham wrote Sefer Yetzirah. Um, it's the book of formation, so it's very heavy on mathematics. It's very heavy on the systems of the world, the universes, the spiritual realms, the zodiac, um, the names of Hashem. So all that deep mystical stuff is rooted in the Sefer Yetzirah. Later on, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai wrote the Zohar, which is the foremost book on Jewish mysticism. And that has since been interpreted and explained and brought down so that average people like us can learn it, benefit from it, and engage in it in a real way. So it's not the Kabbalah Center. The Kabbalah Center is not that. Yeah. Okay. So, unlike the artist, Hashem is constantly recreating his creation at every single moment. Constantly re, um, recreating. So, nature itself is a miraculous thing. And this is like the piece that I think is a little bit subtle, so just try to hear this. I'm going to read it because I, I want you to hear what I'm saying. If Hashem decided for one second not to recreate, we would cease to exist. So, changing the natural pattern... And order is not more miraculous than, than nature itself. Okay? So the natural order is even more miraculous because Hashem is recreating it anew. I'll give you an example. Hashem, what does that mean? If Hashem is already creating the world, Hashem altering nature and creating a miracle is not really more miraculous, right? Because if you understand that Hashem is creating the world at every single moment, recreating you, creating a field of opportunity, infinite potential for you, at every single moment you have the opportunity to literally transform your life, then a miracle is not any different. It happens to be that miracles are an alteration, an alter alter nature and so we see the hand of Hashem more revealed however nature versus the mundane it's not really any different because Hashem is recreating us at every single moment so first of all it's recognizing that wherever you are in your life whatever stage you're in however ordinary it is that is a miraculous place to be you know, and so the point is not thinking that if my reality was like this, or if I was at that stage of my life, or if this was happening, or if that was happening, that would be amazing and miraculous. No. The point is that your nature right now, Hashem is literally recreating it for you very purposefully and very deliberately until when, once we internalize that and we realize that, then I can be present in this moment and be in this space and be like, whoa. Like this right here with all of these souls is exactly where I need to be right now. And that's freaking epic. So I think that once we start to sort of shift into, we don't need to look for these giant gestures, but really exactly where I am right now, the reality that I'm living right now, the parents that I have right now, the friends that I have right now, the relationship that I'm in right now, there's something very unique and miraculous about that. There's something very holy about that. I can engage in it. I don't have to be afraid of it but I can sit with it and be in it, that in itself is a very miraculous thing. Good question. Yeah. I feel like there's a difference, though, between like being thankful for everything that exists and acknowledging that, like, by definition, if Hashem is creating something, every, recreating something every second, then it's not necessarily miraculous just because miraculous is something that's rare, I think. Or, I, I, you know, I understand that we're supposed to look at everything as if it were a miracle, but the definition right. of miraculous is something rare. So, like, right. and I think we can be thankful for the fact that Hashem recreates it. It's not necessarily... Right. It definitely feels different. Yeah. It definitely feels different. And living with that consciousness on a regular basis from moment to moment is definitely a very elevated place to be. But I think that we need to aspire to being where we are and recognizing that that is that itself is holy that place is holy 
Um, I want to share a story that I think will help understand, will help just drive this point home a little bit more. Um, it's, um, it's a story about CBD. It's a different CBD. It's a story about Hanania ben Dosa, who's a famous <laughs> sage that... Um, <laughs> um, this story of this sage, um, his daughter was lighting Shabbat candles. And after she lit her Shabbat candles, she realizes that she lit her candles with vinegar instead of oil. So she goes to her father and she's like, I totally messed up. I lit, I lit, okay, sage is a, a sage is one of our teachers, like a, a scholar um, from the time of the Talmud. So the, the Talmud is made up of basically a million different arguments between these different scholars. And what they do is they argue, 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 and you hear all these very different viewpoints. That's why like Jews and law like really go well together because like it's literally in our blood. We're like a people that like ask and we probe and we question and we don't settle and we're like not supposed to. Um, so they ask these questions, they bring up these crazy stories and, they, and then it gets deduced to a um, to a halacha, which is a Jewish law. So, um, so she says to her father, "You don't know. I messed up big time. I lit my Shabbat candles with vinegar instead of oil." So Hanania ben Dosa CBD says, "The same God that made oil burn is going to make vinegar burn," and that's exactly what happened. The entire Shabbat, these vinegar candles burned until Havdalah, until Shabbat came out. And it was this massive miracle. The point of this story is not, wow, look at what this amazing righteous person did and look at this amazing miracle that he did. There's, there's definitely conversation around that and the brilliance of that. But the point of this story is that in the eyes of a very God-conscious person, a very elevated consciousness, oil burning and vinegar burning are not different things. Okay, oil burning and vinegar burning are not different things. If we completely are surrendered to higher power, to Hashem, to universe, to greater light, to source energy, then we can say that the same God, the same higher power that can make this do this, this natural, this thing that seems natural to do this, can make that do that. If we're completely surrendered to Hashem, then what is it for Hashem? Nature is also a created thing. Hashem created nature, so Hashem can also alter nature. Hashem isn't limited by nature. And I think a lot of the times what we do is we create limitations on God. We create these very limited visions or narratives and stories for ourselves. And we almost pigeonhole ourselves. And we pigeonhole the capacity that Hashem has for us. Hashem has a massive vision for us. So we need to step into dreaming big, thinking big, not holding back, unleashing, letting go of fear, recognizing that if we're living on a plane of Hashem runs the world, Hashem can do anything. Expect miracles, expect massive things to happen, expect beauty, expect love, expect joy. So we need to step into a place where we stop limiting Hashem by nature. Where we, limit, where, where we stop limiting ourselves by nature because we have a piece of Hashem within us. We have a nefesh elokit mimam mamish, a piece of Hashem literally, and therefore we're connected to infinity. And so our capacity to literally transform the world around us is, what is that? It's nothing. It's like the norm. That should be the status quo. But we create these limitations within ourselves. Yeah, first. So then in that sense, are we then supposed to live our lives thinking everything's a miracle or nothing's a miracle? Great question. What do you think? I love turning it on you. Um, well, I think that you are supposed to, I think you're supposed to think that, um, that everything is a miracle. I don't think that by saying that um, I expect this means that you're limiting God. I think that you have to be humble enough to know that you just being there is miracle enough. And so therefore, living your life with that perspective, you should think that everything that's happening to you is a miracle. Amazing. 
How's that? Mm-hmm. Um, that's right. That's right. That's right. That sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, is it about like in every? I'm trying to understand, conceptualize it. Is it about like in every situation we have in our lives? It's about channeling that, like, su- like surrendering and like seeing how it's godly in the sense that like so many things go by all the time that we don't see as miraculous. But you're trying to like sh- make that shift in our lives. Like coming here, like what, like let's channel that, like let's surrender and let's feel like Godly's presence as opposed to like allow our thoughts and our feelings to like cloud everything. So is is that what you're? Like, yeah, and just to say a little bit more yeah. is the more we take our reality and the more we resist it, the more we block Godly energy. Yeah. And so the more we can be present with what shows up for us and acknowledge that that in itself is perfect and beautiful. Maybe I might not feel like that right away and it could be a scary place to be because sometimes our reality is scary and sometimes we are faced with a challenge that's like, well, how do I deal with that? And how do I come to terms with that? But that thing itself is exactly the thing that is like our treasure chest of opportunity. Then how do we differentiate those miracles within everyday lives and the miracles that you, you speak about? Like, when are those needed? Or, like, when are, if we don't live our lives seeking that godliness, yeah. how, how do those miracles come to us and, and why? Those more, yeah. like, overt yeah. miracles? There's a, there's a reason for that. Hashem created that very purposefully, and those miracles, are we're supposed to see them, we're supposed to talk about them, we're supposed to, you know, we recite, we, like, Every single day in our daily prayer, we're talking about miracles that we saw that, you know, the Jewish people saw when they were leaving Egypt. Those miracles are supposed to instill within us a sense of trust. So we're not supposed to negate those. Those are powerful and important. In fact, if a miracle happens to you, I think it says in the Talmud that you should go around, you should share it because it inspires people and it awakens a sense of trust within people. So um, if you see that, that's amazing and great. Usually those very life-altering, intense miracles are wake-up calls. It's Hashem saying to you, wake up, wake up, look at me, I see you, do you see me? So we shouldn't wait for those kinds of miracles to happen, right? We don't want to wait until Hashem's cornering us for us to see him. Yeah, we want to see those big miracles, but very often, like, we, we shouldn't want that because that's like Hashem, like... Wake up, you know? So hopefully we come into a woke state without being cornered and without being put in this, like, more challenging, tricky situation. With that said, those, those situations, those are also gifts. Yeah. And they're opportunities for us to connect in a deeper way. I had those experiences. I'm sure you've had experiences like that where we've seen with friends, family, this, that. It's like Hashem saying to us, like, look, I'm here. And we're very lucky and very blessed to see that. A small miracle. We're gonna to get to it with the Hanukkah story, but that's a small miracle. Well, the first day, right? The first day, a small miracle. I don't know exactly what you mean by that. Like, like you know, getting hit by a car and walking away unscathed is, is a big miracle, right? right? So, like, what are the small? No, I'm assuming the subway. I would even say yeah. it's a small, small miracle. miracle. Or, or like, like meeting a great person. Yeah, meeting a great person. Or like, does it matter? me being here because I'm healthy and can get here. Mm-hmm. Well, that's even a big miracle. Well, it depends how you look at it. Yeah, it's true too. That's the hard part. It's like, it's not relative, relative to anything. anything. Yeah, like, it's hard to... It's all about your perspective. It's What's all it? about where you're, where you are, how aligned you are. Like, how can, I just, how can you be like someone functioning in the world every day and constantly be thinking about like, instead of like, there's yeah, no sheet in front of you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so nice because if you take a step back, like it's all seen through a positive lens. Mm-hmm. And that's like, to me, that's what Judaism is all about. And I feel yeah. like once you turn on that positive lens, you start seeing more positive. Because mm-hmm. like the second you're like, mm-hmm. oh, wow. I, like it, let, let's say, like imagine having an amazing morning. Like you woke up, like you didn't, you didn't snooze, and then... You like didn't miss the subway that morning, and then 
every single good thing that happens that day, you're like, wow, that was a miracle. Yeah. But like, let's say one bad thing happens that day, like you slept through your alarm, everything that continues that day, you're gonna be like, that sucks. Like you're focusing mm -hmm. on all of the negative things that are happening instead. Right. I have a question. So since you didn't grow up religious, like part of this is new to you too, or like you went through this conversation for the first time in your more adult part of life. So of this concept and this conversation, like what were the pieces that were hardest for you to kind of adopt or, or digest? that now maybe you have, but what was the Yeah, I mean, it's so funny because like in the early years of like my growth, I feel like it was so easy, right? Because you're kind of on a spiritual high and you're doing all these like very superficial ritual things like changing the way I dress and like keeping kosher and like Shabbat and like everything's very like exciting. Right. And I think that like, I think, I think that there's even a study that says like even in a relationship, the first 12 to 18 months are the most exciting and then you kind of lose that like, how do you reawaken? How do you like re-engage and keep that passion alive? So like really my like growth didn't actually start until my passion started to like completely subside. And I had to really work diligently about like, okay, I don't feel that passion. Why am I engaging today? And I had to ask myself that constantly. Like, okay, I'm not excited to dress modestly. I'm not excited to keep kosher. I wish I could eat at all the restaurants on the Lower East Side. Why am I doing it today? Why is it important to me today? And that those reasons evolved with time. So first of all, I would say that it's okay and healthy for your reasons to change with time. And I think that we put a lot of pressure on like, oh, I have to be doing it for the right reason. The Torah tells us that doing something for the wrong reason, but it's the right thing, will lead you to do it for the right reason. So first of all, don't be afraid of engaging and, and taking something on or exploring an idea or you know, doing a mitzvah because it's like, oh, I'm not really there yet. I'm not totally like perfect. Shabbat, yeah. You want to impress a religious guy. Yeah, exactly. I definitely did that. I did that. <laughs> I did. Um, but did you like struggle with like this topic? I mean, like more specifically. Like, I think have... that these were topics that actually helped me. Got it. You never had like. I didn't have like these like, existential. You know? I didn't have like. I personally didn't have like that kind of question. I just, I think for me, I'm like an inspiration junkie and I'm like a very growth oriented person. And once that inspiration started to like mellow, I was like, oh my gosh, like, what am I doing? Like, I don't really feel it. How do I feel it? I want to shit feel it. And I had to learn that like, now thank God I'm married. And I realized that like, you're not going to feel all the time on this crazy high. And, and Torah tells us that there's love like fire and love like water. And they're both important and both necessary to nurture this relationship. So there's times where you're focused on the heat and the passion and the excitement. And there's times where it's more maybe intellectual and, and a little bit more calm and a little bit more focused. Um, so yeah, definitely my challenges have evolved with time, but like the bulk of it has been more in these like past, I would say like five years, 10 years, you know. Okay. Do we have time to, do we have more time? I don't know where we're at. Okay. What time is it? Is it? Oh, wow. Whoa. Okay. What time are we wrapping? Should we wrap up? I have no idea what time we, where did we start? I don't know. Okay. Should we go for a few more minutes? Okay. Um, so that was the first concept, which is the way that Hashem creates versus the way that we create. Hashem is recreating at every single moment, constantly reinvesting, and that energy that Hashem puts into this world at every single moment shows us that every single moment is being recreated. And so there really is no difference between nature and that which is miraculous. In fact, nature is even, is an even greater, um, is an even greater feat because Hashem created nature. Um, I'm not going to go into it more than that. I think I'm just going to leave it there. But if you have questions about it and you want to go into it a little bit deeper, that, it, that concept does run deeper and it, it gets a little bit, whatever, heavy. Okay, so the next concept that I think is really powerful is this idea of Hashem's names. So we know that Hashem has the same way that we have different titles, right? I'm Dasi. I'm a sister, I'm a friend, I'm a coworker. I have all these different titles which make up my character. 
says that Hashem has 72 names. And each of these names is reflecting a different aspect of Hashem. Hashem is one, but Hashem has these different aspects. The Father, he's a king. We have the name Elohim. We have the name Havaya. And we're going to focus on these two names, Shem Havaya, which is the name of Hashem that reflects Hashem's revelation, the miraculous, the supernatural, the benevolent, the progressive, just forward-flowing light. Okay? This is the name of Hashem that we see. If you know Hebrew, it's the Yud and the Hey and the Bav and the Hey. So this is the name of Hashem that reflects Hashem's infinite light. Right? No bounds. Complete benevolence. And then we have another name of Hashem, which is literally the opposite. It's Elohim. Elohim is, has the same gematria as the word Hateva, nature. So it's the name of Hashem, which gives life to everything that functions in nature. The way the sun rises, the way the sun sets. There's seven days in a week. There's 12 months in a year. There's, there's, you know, all, everything that works within nature is being pumped into the world through this lens of Elohim. And it's all about limitation, concealment, consequence, like, you know, reward, punishment, consequence, like everything that has a pattern um, and an order is reflected through this name of Elohim. Now, it, it says in the Torah that Havaya hu ha Elohim, that Havaya is Elohim. So really, when you think about that, it makes no sense because how could you say that this aspect of Hashem, which is all about revelation and, and, the revel- and um, this infinite energy of Hashem, and this name of Hashem, Elohim, which is all about concealment, are one and the same. How could we say that? How can we say that they're the same thing? We're talking about two different aspects of Hashem. How are they one and the same thing? And this, guys, is like, it's such a tiny little concept, but I think that of all the concepts that I've probably ever learned, this is one of the most powerful concepts that I've personally like had to learn and internalize and live with and try to like bring into my daily life because so often we go through life and we feel like Hashem is concealed to us and we feel like, where is Hashem? Like, where, like, there's so much injustice in the world. There's so many challenges. There's so much darkness. There's so much concealment. Like, how could we say that Hashem is running this world? Like, where? How, how do we see that? There's such craziness going on around us. In our personal lives, I could say, you know, the crazy things I've seen in my personal life. What are you doing, God? Like, how could, what is happening? Are you really there? And we all go through this and we all ask ourselves these questions and we question, like, where are you, God? Right? So this is like, this concept is so mind-blowing to me. And I'm going to share a little um, analogy to try to help us understand why it is this way and understanding that the concealment is also God. And the analogy is a mother that is playing peekaboo with her four-month-old, five-month-old, six-month-old. As the mother is covering her face, the child is going wild. Where is my mom? Where did she go? Oh my gosh, she's not there anymore, right? And then the mom uncovers her face and the baby's like, oh my gosh, there she is, ah, right? And again, and again, and again, and the baby can do this like all day long and it's like amazing, right? But try to play peekaboo with a seven-year-old, right? A seven-year-old is not down. Like, what's wrong with you, dude? I see you, you're there, your hands are you, I'm not retarded, right? (laughs) And so this is exactly what happens in our spiritual evolution, hopefully. Hopefully we evolve into realizing that the concealment is also God. The concealment isn't a true concealment. The concealment is there to help us have free choice and to make a decision and say, yes, I know that that's you. You're not really concealed. Maybe from my perspective right now in this dark stage, I can't see you, but I know that that concealment is you. But what happens is in life, we go through these challenges, we go through heartache, and those concealments become our reality. And we become blind to seeing Hashem. And we have to work on this spiritual muscle to say that concealment is also God. 
There's no difference. Hashem hua Elohim. The concealment is also God. There's no difference. The fact that I don't see it is my limitation. It's not God's limitation. So we're the baby until we see God, then we're the seven-year-old. Yeah, so we have to evolve and be able to say that when I don't see Hashem and I'm going through a challenge and this is hard and this sucks and like, why is this happening to you? Why is this happening to me? Why are we going through this? I have to be able to say, this concealment is also God. And, and it's a hard thing to swallow because it's like, what? Like, why would Hashem do that? Why would Hashem ever do that? That's so cruel. That's so mean. That's so harsh. It's also like, um, without the concealment, you can't see him revealed. Like, if he's always shown, then we'll never... It's like, hands, it's like holding a candle in broad daylight, right? But even more than that, it's that the concealment itself is truly godliness. And it's really just from our very limited perspective that we experience it as a concealment. But from Hashem's perspective, there really is no concealment. So the concealment is really there to help us grow. It's to help us build our character. It's to help us go from this limited consciousness to a higher consciousness, to lack of fear, to lack of doubt, to lack of all the limiting thoughts that we have about ourselves and the world around us and be able to say like, yeah, there's a lot of darkness in the world, but there's only God and it's all God and everything is truly for the good. And once I start to step into that consciousness, that also literally transforms the reality. And that's why Hashem created the world, so that we would be in a physical world where there is darkness, where we can think that we operate autonomously and that we're independent entities and that we run our lives so that we are fooled to think that, but really gives us the opportunity to say, you know what, Hashem really runs the world. It might look like I run my own world, but truly, Hashem is the one who's driving this car. I'm just in the passenger side. So I think that it's really important to meditate on that idea. It's like a wild concept, but thinking about that and realizing that the challenges that you have, the difficulties that you have, the issues that you've gone through, the traumas that we've had, the experiences that we've had that have hijacked us are really Hashem elevating us, up-leveling us. But the question is, are we resisting it? Are we giving ourselves permission to let Hashem be in that space? Or are we pushing Hashem out and, and, and being blind, as the Talmud says, to the miracles that are around us? I remember, and I'll... I'll end on this. Well, let me, I'll circle back. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll share a quick story. I remember one time I was sitting in the car um, when, when my husband and I first got married. My husband insisted on buying, on renting, on leasing the, a Jeep that had a tech pack. Anyone who knows Yakov, he's like a technology guy. We're total like opposites in that way. I don't know how to use my phone. And he's like, this tech person. <laughs> and he's like, okay, we're going to get this tech car. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome, whatever. And I'm like, okay, fine. Like, let's do it. I have no idea what that means. Let's just do it. And he got the tech back, and it was actually really wild. It had a feature on it where it would automatically self-park. And I remember the first time he showed it to me, it was actually the most scary thing I have ever seen in my entire life. It was like a ghost was in the car with us. He, what he did was you drive past two cars that has a gap in between and the car senses that space. And then it literally starts turning the steering wheel. It shifts the gear. It turns the car, pushes it in and it's a perfect park. And I'm like, what? This is so scary. I can't do this. Like what's happening? And it was like the scariest thing I had ever experienced in my whole life. And I remember learning from this something so wild that like we are so we we run our lives. We control, we're the ones in the driver's seat, we parallel park, we pick our careers, we pick our friends, we pick our circumstances, we pick what we're wearing, we pick where we go, who we hang out with, every single detail of our lives we are in control of. And so we just become used to that. And then sometimes Hashem is like, wake up because you don't run your life. I do. And that can be such a scary thing because it's like suddenly you're losing control and you're like, I don't know how to do this. What's going on? I can't. And sometimes you just have to trust. You just have to be like, whoa, like the tech pack on the Jeep is bomb. And it knows exactly what it's doing and it's going to parallel park better than me every single time. And 
How much more so with Hashem? That's perfect and divine and runs the world and runs the universe and runs every single thing that's happening in the world around us, in the universe, in the cosmos. How much more so? Every single detail. So we have to be willing to let Hashem work through us. We have to be willing to let go of the steering wheel. We have to be willing to be a channel for Hashem to flow, create that flow through that chi, you know, get some acupuncture going, I don't know. Um, And so we end with that question of why is it that we celebrate the first day of Hanukkah? And it's exactly what we, it's really not such a, you know, mind-blowing thing. It's that the nature itself, that first day, is miraculous. And we have to realize that nature, the circumstance that we're in, is a miraculous one, is a holy one, is a powerful one. But are we willing to face that? Are we willing to be there? Um, you know, the, the Maccabees, they waged war. They, they, didn't, they didn't start praying. They weren't like, let me go give some sacrifices. Let me, let me you know, let me go in to, to shul and start davening. Let me, it was like, no, I have to be present with the experience right now and I have to wage war. Like, that's what's being expected of me. So once we internalize this concept, we step into a field of possibility. We stop limiting God. We allow Hashem, him, herself, Hashem is fat, feminine and masculine to start to um, take center stage. We start to, um, and like we shouldn't be afraid of that. So L'chaim to seeing the small and big miracles are both important, both powerful. Um, L'chaim to rebirthing ourselves this month and into the rest of the year. Um, and to everything that we need and want should manifest in a clear way, in an easy way, um, to let go of fear and doubts and limiting thoughts and our anxieties and our struggles and realize that everything that's shown up for us in our life is, tr- is really from Hashem and is really a blessing. And if we put the right goggles on, then we can hopefully see that. And if we start to just allow ourselves and give ourselves permission to seeing that, to not resisting that, then it'll emerge that way. So I just want to go around because I think it's important to just like end the circle and end the, you know, really not end, but like hopefully continue this um, into the month and into the rest of the year to maybe mention either a miracle that's happened to you or somewhere that you saw Hashem in your life, somewhere maybe within nature um, like in the very mundane where you were like, whoa, like I just realized, like, thank God I have a toothbrush. Like, that's amazing. Like, I'm so lucky. I have socks. Like, that's huge. You know, how lucky am I? You know, I was with Adina Lichtman today. We, we learn every, every week on Tuesday's Tuesday. And she runs an organization called Knock, Knock, Give a Sock. And basically, yeah. she provides socks for homeless people. It's really an opportunity for these big corporations to meet homeless people and put names to these faces. And she was running this massive operation and you know in a couple weeks she's doing this carnival for like hundreds of orphans children and she's just like we're so lucky like we don't realize how lucky we are and once we start to acknowledge that and see that even the very small things we start to show up really differently so does anybody want to start okay we can just do it organically when it's when you feel like you want to share just go 